right, friends, if you would turn with me, please. Uh, We're going to be in two different passages this morning. Matthew chapter 13. So Matthew 13 is our first passage this morning. And then our second passage is going to be in the book of Haggai chapter 2. If it's been a little while since you have personally been in the book of Haggai, and who has not been in the book of Haggai recently, right? Once we get from Matthew, just start turning left in the Old Testament. It's just a few pages into the end of the Old Testament. But we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible with you, feel free to use the one in the chair underneath you, or we'll have the scriptures on screen so you can follow along as well. But let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Christ, the Savior of the world, is born. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for reaching into our darkness and bringing light. Thank you, Father, for bringing your Son into this world so that we might see you and know you and find the kingdom of heaven here among us. Thank you, Father, for the value that there is in salvation and transformation and life with Jesus Christ. We're thankful for that this morning. Lord, as we bring this series to a close today and we speak on the issue of renewal, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work, powerfully at work, bringing the Word and the power of God alive inside of our lives. God, we pray for salvation this morning. We pray for transformation. We pray, Father, for renewal. We pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in every life this morning. So, God, we give you this time today, asking, Lord, that you would do with it what only you can do to the glory of our Heavenly Father. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. That's where we're going to start reading here in just a moment. So, friends, renewal is the experience of being realigned with God's presence. It restores our God-given purpose to know Him and to partner with Him to flood the world with His presence. We are in renewal, realigned with the Spirit of God. We are renewed in our God-given purpose to know Him and to be partners with Him in bringing His work into the rest of this world. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in, and it's a lot to absorb. But it is fundamentally, renewal is a way of seeing our relationship with God taken to its full purpose. In renewal, there is no more half-hearted Christianity, no more slacking in our spiritual lives and our walk with Jesus Christ. This in renewal is where we are individually filled with God's Spirit in new and powerful ways, and God begins to work through us to fill the world with His presence and with His will and with His work. So we speak of renewal and we speak of great big things with this topic. So renewal is the culmination of our third environment and thrive, Be a Living Hope. If you still have that piece of paper, it's right at the very bottom. It's the culmination of that environment. 
So everything in this environment of be a living hope has to do with turning our relationship with God outward. It is for the sake of our neighbor. It is for the sake of the rest of the world. Not only is renewal the culmination of the environment of be a living hope, but it's a culmination of all of Thrive. There's a logical flow from beginning to end. Right at the very beginning, we began to talk about communion, that we need to be in actual communion and conversation with God in prayer and in joy and sorrow in every season of life. And when we get now to renewal, we're talking about life-changing communion with God. We get to know Him, but now we are filled with Him in unique ways. Life-changing communion with God, both individually and then on the whole. This is a critical chain of thought that we've been building through this series. Remember, we do not come to Christ because we are already perfect. We do not come to Christ because we have something to offer Him. We do not come to Christ about 97% perfect, and with Jesus, we'll hit that 100%, right? That's not how we come to Christ. We come to Christ as sinners, dead in our trespasses and sin. We come to Christ actually as enemies of God, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit that fills us with the life of God. Remember, the foundation of our identity is that we are sinners saved by grace, not good people who need a little extra boost. We are sinners saved by grace. You may even remember one of the original images that we used at the very beginning of this series. It had to do with the story of Jesus at the wedding of Cana, and his mother and his disciples are there, and the wedding has run out of wine, and his mother tells the servants, fill up the jars with water, and we'll see what Jesus does. Jesus turns that water into wine. You see, our job is to fill jars with water and let Jesus do what only he can do. And in the end, what Christ wants to do with his people and with his church is renewal. It's renewal. So in Thrive, we describe renewal like this. Participating in God's plan to fill the world with his restoring presence. And our world needs the restoring presence of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about big things when we talk about renewal. And we're going to tackle this topic of renewal in two ways this morning. We're going to talk about personal revival and global transformation. In personal revival, each and every one of us needs to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. But we also need to have that relationship set on fire. It's not just something we keep in our back pocket or exercise on Sundays. It's a relationship that needs to be set on fire constantly. Imagine a relationship with God that is full of peace and joy, thankfulness and discernment, of passion and purpose inside of our lives, a daily life that is filled with the presence of God Himself. This is renewal. This is personal revival. And then we talk about global transformation as well. So it happens to us individually, but there is more that God is after 
God desires to fill all of his creatures with himself. He desires to fill all of creation with himself. He desires, as scripture puts it, that nobody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is the heart of God. So God uses our lives. He uses our prayer. He uses our vocation. He uses who we are to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's incredible, really, that we get to play a part in God renewing the world, in God bringing His kingdom into its fullness as we play a role in what God wants to do. So as I worked through this topic, I came back over and over again to uh, the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 13. Now, Matthew chapter 13 is this wonderful chapter, and it's in this chapter, at this point, Jesus is telling a string of parables to his disciples. In fact, almost all of Matthew chapter 13 are these parables that Jesus tells. All of them are a kind of story that's taken from images inside of their daily lives to make a point about the kingdom of God and what it is like. So all of them are about what Christ calls in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven. In fact, most of the parables that Jesus tells begin with this phrase, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. So these parables are what it is like to live with God as the ruler of our lives and what it will be like when eventually God is ruler over all things. Now, two of them right in the middle of this chapter. They're short and they're simple but they strike me as powerful for us this morning. So in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46, two short parables, and they go like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding the one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The parable of the hidden treasure in a field. The parable of the pearl of great price. Both of them begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus is telling us somehow inside of these two short parables that this is what life with God is like. This is what it means to find the kingdom of God. And what life with God is like is such a powerful shift, such a profound difference from what life without God is like that we have to be told over and over what it is to live in the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's like. This is what it's like. Jesus tells us over and over again. So, in these two parables, what is the kingdom of heaven like? What is life with God like? In one parable, a man who is walking through a field, he stumbles across a treasure. He just finds it. He wasn't looking for it. He stumbles across it. He finds it. He covers it up sells all that he has, and he comes back so that he has the field and the treasure. In the second, the kingdom of heaven, life with God is like a merchant 
who is searching for these pearls, and he finds the pearl of exceeding value. Now, catch this inside of these two parables, friends. Each one of those two, the man who stumbles across the treasure and the merchant who finally finds that pearl, each one of them understands what they have found. Each one of them sees it. They know its value. And as soon as the value of that treasure, of that pearl, dawns upon them, they do the only appropriate thing. They do the only rational thing upon finding this treasure or this pearl. They get rid of everything else. They sell everything else to make sure they have the one thing, to make sure they have that treasure, to make sure they have that pearl. They're short and they're very similar, but there are these, I think, subtle differences in the parables. In the one, the man finds the treasure on accident. He wasn't looking for it, but he stumbles across it and he recognizes it for what it is. Some of you, you know, this may come as a surprise to some of us, but some of you have no desire to be here. Some of you have no desire to hear this. Some of you are here because somebody else brought you. You have this morning stumbled across the treasure. You have this morning, without looking for it, without seeking it out, without knowing where you were, you have stumbled across the treasure that is worth more than everything else you have. Will we see it? Will we know it? In the other parable, we have a merchant who the text says is looking for the pearl of exceeding value. He's searching for it. He's hunting for it. He's probably a merchant who has collected all kinds of other things, but when he sees that one pearl, he realizes its value. He says, I have found what I am looking for, and I'm going to sell everything else to make sure I have this one pearl. What the kingdom of heaven is like is contained in this three-step story told twice. What it is, what we see, and how we respond. What it is, what we see, and how we respond. Imagine with me as we continue to think through these parables, and Jesus is taking images from daily life. They may have known people like this or merchants who do this kind of thing, and then he's turning it into this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So imagine with me quickly how many people walked through that same field and did not see that treasure. How many people walked through that field and saw the treasure and didn't understand what it is that they saw? They didn't know it. They didn't sell everything that they had so that they could take hold of that one treasure. What if the jeweler decided instead to collect hundreds of worthless trinkets instead of the one pearl of great price? All of those worthless trinkets added up together do not equal the value of the one pearl. You can't cobble everything else together. You can't put together a lot of other worthless ideas and philosophies and way of life and finally make your way to the kingdom of heaven. That's not what it's like. Get rid of all of that. Sell all of that. Dump it as fast as you can and take hold of the kingdom of heaven. 
Friends, personal revival happens when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the treasure and we respond with everything that we have. It's not half-hearted. It's not slacking. It's not hanging on to two worlds at one time. It is the letting go of everything that we have suddenly learned is worthless, that we have suddenly learned does not save my soul. The Holy Spirit reveals to us what the treasure is, and we respond with everything that we have. It is the kingdom of God. It is salvation. It is life with Jesus Christ. That is the treasure. That is the pearl of great price. And the Holy Spirit, this is the beauty of God at work. He doesn't leave us to find this on our own. He doesn't leave us to our own devices as we stumble around in the darkness. But He has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us to Jesus Christ, to teach us everything about Jesus Christ so that we may know Him. Holy Spirit leads us into this. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see it. And maybe it catches us off guard. Maybe we have been searching for it all along, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit. We finally see it for what it is. So the work of the Spirit not only opens our eyes to the value of that treasure, But it makes the other way of life distasteful to us. It makes the rest of the things that we have gathered in our lives to try to cobble together meaning and purpose and direction, it opens our eyes to how worthless those things are in the end. So it makes the Holy Spirit makes the old way of life distasteful and makes the new way of life attractive. The Holy Spirit actually woos us into relationship with Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God reveals our sin, and the Spirit of God reveals our Savior. The Spirit draws us into Christ, and we love Him, and we want Him. We love His kingdom instead of the kingdom of this world, and we want His kingdom. So, friends, the treasure changes our lives, and we understand what it's worth. And so like the parable repeats this thought twice, we repeat this thought twice, and we respond with all we have. We become ready to give all for the treasure. We become ready to let the treasure be made known to all, to let others see Jesus for who He truly is. Here's how the Apostle Paul uses the language of treasure when he writes to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he puts it like this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. These things remain cracked. These things remain broken. We continue to stumble in our lives as we grow in the image of Jesus Christ, but it it is as if the treasure that is within us shines through every one of those broken cracks, every one of those places of brokenness, every one of those places of pain, every one of those cracks of desperation in our lives, the treasure shines through. 
The surpassing value does not belong in what Phil is capable of doing. It belongs to the treasure that is within us. So when this happens to us as individuals, it begins, it begins to have this effect, not just on who we are as individuals, but who we become as a church, a local church, a universal church. God has every desire to fill the world with Himself and with His kingdom and to use His people to spread the world, to spread the word. If you turn with me now to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, near the end of the Old Testament there, to understand what happens in Haggai 2, what the prophet says, we need to make sure we understand a little bit of the historical context. Who is he talking to? What are they dealing with? What's the complication in their lives that Haggai and God are addressing? So Haggai really does preach near the end of Old Testament history. It's not just that he's at the end of the Old Testament, but his life is near the end of Old Testament history. So this is after, long after the exile to Babylon. So Babylon is, uh, God's people have rebelled and Babylon has come and it has destroyed the city of Jerusalem and has torn the temple down to its roots and taken Judah into captivity. And now a little over 70 years later, the people of God, some of the people of God, not all of them, some of them have come back in order to start the rebuilding process there in the city of Jerusalem and with the temple itself. So Haggai, what he is doing, he is is preaching to encourage the people of God to rebuild the temple and to restart worship. That's what he's preaching about. Those are the people that he is talking to. Now, by the time Haggai preaches, the people of God had already started rebuilding the temple. You can read that story in the book of Ezra. The foundation was small. It was much smaller than the earlier temple that Solomon had built. So it was actually very disappointing. It was actually very disheartening to a lot of the people of Israel. In fact, after they rebuilt the foundation, the enemies of God convinced them, the enemies of Judah convinced them to stop building and to stop worshiping. Did you hear me? The enemies of God's people convinced them to stop worshiping. They had just begun the rebuilding again just a few weeks before this sermon that Haggai preaches in chapter 2. So this is a very real dynamic for the people of God as Haggai preaches here. The temple is small. We are small. We don't see very many of us around. Our enemies don't want us to gather to worship. And we're not sure that any of this is going to work. That's their dynamic when Haggai preaches. So God has a couple of things to tell them in this book. So in Haggai chapter 2, I want to read verses 4 through 9 as we catch kind of the core of this sermon in this section. So Haggai says this in chapter 2, verse 4. And he speaks to these two individuals, Zerubbabel and Joshua, a priest and a bureaucrat, a project manager. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. 
Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Your enemies are nothing. I am the one who shakes nations, and I will bring them to you as I fill this house with my glory. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts, and the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. First of all, note where God is headed with His people. As they struggle to rebuild, as they struggle to figure out whether or not their enemies are going to win, where God is headed with His people as He says this, look, I will fill this house with glory. In fact, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory. This is renewal in the larger sense. God is filling His people, His courageous, working, faithful people. He's going to fill them with His presence. He's going to fill their worship. He's going to fill His creation with His presence. He's going to shake the nations and He's going to shake the foundations of the earth. And all of it will be overwhelming because it will be the glory, the weight, and the power of God. But the reason Haggai has to say this, in fact, the reason Haggai has to say this over and over and over again is that the people of God can't quite see that. They can't quite see what God is up to or even what He is able to do because of what they are dealing with in their physical, natural lives here and now. What they see is a small and unimpressive temple. They see very few of each other inside of a city with no walls. What they see are the enemies around them who want them to stop worshiping together. So what does God say to lead them into his renewal, to lead them into his work. The work that God is doing now is going to be different, but it is still going to be the work of the Lord. So listen, friends, one of the lessons of renewal, one of the important lessons of renewal, our reaction to crisis will determine whether we find renewal. Our reaction to crisis in fact, some of the most powerful moves of God happen when the people of God respond the right way to crisis. For a while, Haggai's people quit building. They had laid a temple. It was exciting to some. They had laid a foundation exciting to some, disappointing to others, but they had quit for a while. But when they're given God's voice, 
And when they are given the reassurance of the Spirit of God among them, their reaction to the crisis changes. They put their hand to the plow. They pick up their hammers and chisels one more time, and they begin the work of rebuilding a temple and gathering to worship as the people of God. Listen, friends, I get passionate about stuff like this. It's probably because I spend too much time on Twitter. It's true. <laughs> Listen, if the church allows a world that disagrees with it to tell it how and when to worship, it will become the puppet of the world. In fact, if it goes too long, the church will also become indistinguishable from the world. Listen to this one more time. If the church allows a world that disagrees with it to tell it how and when to worship, it will become a puppet of the world, and it runs the risk of becoming indistinguishable from the rest of the world. That is not what God called His people to do here. That is not the story that we read. But if the church is the courage and the wisdom to love God and love people, to worship God and to tell others about Him, genuine renewal can occur. That's the story that we read here in Haggai chapter 2. Work, Haggai says, for I am with you, declares the Lord. We see in this passage another principle. Renewal will be a fresh move of God's wisdom and presence. It doesn't look like it used to. It won't look like it used to, but it is still exactly what God wants done here and now. The conditions around us, around the church, around our personal lives and families, the conditions around us change. The false gods who are at work in the world around us put on new masks. But Haggai tells us, that God will go ahead of those who work, and He will fill them with His Spirit, and something new will happen. When things seem difficult, when the pressure of culture seems against the work of the church, we struggle with questions. We struggle with comparisons, with what used to be, with what we think should be, with what could possibly be. We wrestle with all of these kinds of things. We wrestle sometimes with the smallness or the seeming smallness of the foundation. We wrestle with the seeming smallness of numbers and the, what seems to be the overwhelming size of the enemy's work. But God in this passage calls His people to courage. Three times in what we read, God says, be strong, be strong, be strong. And then He says, in case you missed it, fear not. So here's another principle about how renewal works. In renewal, the people of God contend instead of accommodate. This is how renewal works. We contend instead of accommodate. If you go back and you read the history of what's happening in Haggai's time and the time just before and just after in the book of Ezra, you learn something. Haggai's audience actually began to rebuild the temple before they received official word from the king that they could. Their enemies told them to stop, so they stopped. 
Then all of these letters start getting sent to the king. Hey, Judah's rebuilding. We don't want them to rebuild. The officials in Judah say, hey, we were told to rebuild. We should be allowed to rebuild. And that takes a long time in ancient Israel between Judah and Persia. So before they receive official word back, they just start rebuilding. Because why? They had a higher authority who told them to build, to worship, and to gather. This means that they need to learn how to make decisions that publicly disagree with their enemies and move forward as if God is king. Courage in the context of renewal and resistance looks like this. It is spiritual, cur- spiritual courage is transformative contribution. Courage in the face, spiritual courage in the face of crisis is not becoming a gadfly or a problem or a weirdo. It is transformative contribution. Spiritual courage is transformative contribution. Look at it like this. This entire series, the entire point of Thrive is to give us tools to put ourselves in the presence of Christ, to put us in front of Him, to let the Holy Spirit have access to these broken and sinful vessels so that He can fill these jars He can turn what's in here from water into wine. We don't sit idly by and wait for the end. We don't curl up in the fetal position and hope for the best. We are designed by God to work, to build, to be salt and light, and to make Jesus great no matter what. This is how we are designed. This is our God-given design. This is how renewal works. So instead of passively or uncritically accepting the ways of the world around us, the Christian is proactive. The church is proactive in finding the ways of God. We are hunting for the pearl of great price. We want to find the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're proactive in finding the ways of God. We're proactive in learning how to obey the things of Jesus Christ. And we are proactive in leading the way for other people into a new and different way of life. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. And the church leads the way into something different. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts this kind of thought in Romans chapter 12. Verse 2, if you don't have a passage like this memorized in your back pocket somewhere, this is a great place to begin memorizing Scripture. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We find the kingdom of God because we are transformed into a new way of life. The Holy Spirit is at work and our eyes are open and we see the treasure, we see the pearl, we see the way of life instead of being conformed to the ways of this world. And the source of the Christian's courage, in the source of God's work of renewal, he told his people in verse 5, my spirit remains in your midst. You have questions. You have concerns. You don't know exactly what to do next. You see enemies. You see small foundations. You see more questions than answers. But listen, my spirit is still in your midst. And at this moment in the text, God reminds these people of an old, old covenant. He says, look, I brought you out of Egypt and I planted you in the promised land. 
In fact, this is the group of people who have made their way back to the promised land for the second time because of the hand of God. He reminds them of an old covenant so that they learn the lesson that God has always been at work. His eyes have never been taken off of His people. His his eyes have never been taken off of His covenant. God is still at work, even one that's that old. He says, I still hold to that covenant. See, that's the kind of thing that we can live on. That's the kind of thing that that can test the weight of our lives. We can actually stand here. We can actually live here because this doesn't change. We can actually learn how to take faith-filled risks here because God's covenant, His covenant with us never changes. And what results from all of this? Between verses 7 and 9, we got this beautiful language. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. In fact, the latter glory, the glory that is coming because of renewal, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the the former. Haggai, through this text, you may have noticed it because it sounded repetitive over and over and over. Haggai constantly calls God the Lord of hosts, declares the Lord of hosts, says the Lord of hosts, declares the Lord of hosts, over and over. The Lord of hosts is the name of God that means He is the God of angel armies. He's the God of a military host that cannot be defeated. So when we work at the behest of God, When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are working under the strength and the power and the protection and the wisdom of the Lord of angel armies. So who am I to be afraid of my enemies? I belong to the Lord of hosts. I work on behalf of the Lord of hosts. The nations will shake. The nations will shake. God's people will wake up. They will begin to, get, begin to live like God made them to live. Gifts that God has given will be woken up and set on fire. This is renewal. This is renewal. Jesus came at the first advent, and the world has never been the same. Christ, the Savior of the world, has come, and Jesus is coming back again, and all of the nations will bow before Him. Listen to Isaiah 60, the first three verses. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will eyes upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The world will be full of darkness, but the Lord of light will come. I want to finish with some thoughts about what I have come to call a kind of cycle of renewal. 
As we sort of look through Scripture at these kinds of moments, how God talks about it, how it works, even historically, these moments of awakenings and revivals and renewals where God is powerfully at work among His people in different parts of the globe at different periods of time, there's a, there's a kind of cycle. There are things that are universal to all of these moments of renewal. So I want to talk about a cycle of renewal. First and foremost is this. There is a holy dissatisfaction among the people of God. Not just grumpiness. We don't all just become bothersome curmudgeons. There is a holy dissatisfaction with the world. Something's wrong. This isn't the way God designed it. Too much is set against God and against His way, and people are dying. There's a holy dissatisfaction with this world. It turns very quickly into fervent prayer. Don't ever let anyone mock you for your prayer. Don't ever let anyone tell you that prayer is the least that you can possibly do. Because in prayer, we commune with the Lord of hosts. He hears and He works. So in this cycle of renewal, through this, through this kind of step of fervent prayer, we are driven to our God, the God who sees, the God who hears, and the God who wants to act on behalf of His people. And there is always in renewal, there is a renewed importance of worship and of word. People in renewal can't get enough of God's praise, and they can't get enough of God's people, and they can't get enough of the word of God. They are drawn into God's word, into God's presence over and over and over. It's not a burden, it's a joy, it's an anticipation. The Holy Spirit is pulling us into the presence of God. And we have this renewed fire for worship and for the Word of God. There is always repentance. There is always repentance. We learn to hate sin. and We learn to love holiness. We hate sin as we watch it pull the world around us apart. And we hate the sin that sits in our own lives. And we learn to love holiness. We don't want sin in our lives or in the lives of others anymore. We want Jesus to come and sin to be done away with. The people of God then also move from fear to hope. Our enemies told us to stop, so we went ahead and stopped. But God tells us to get started again. In renewal, we move from fear and despair to hope and trust and peace. We find ourselves trusting in God more and more in living in what Paul calls in Philippians the peace that passes all understanding. Friends, sometimes God orders the things in this world to match what we want and what we are praying for, and in that movement we find peace. Sometimes God gives us peace no matter what happens in the world around us. Does that make sense? There is peace that passes all of our understanding, and it's available in Jesus Christ. 
And then through this all, God renews his people. We find God in ways that we need, and in God's good will, our communities and our neighborhoods find God and put their trust in Him. Friends, in renewal, God realigns us with His presence. The Holy Spirit is work within us, causing us to sell to get rid of all of those things in our lives that we have suddenly discovered cannot save our souls. And we are realigned with, we are pulled into the presence of God. And in renewal, He restores our God-given purpose to know Him and to become a part of His plan for the rest of the world.